The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is www.flashblackradio.com. I am Lee Bennett III, aka Vinci Parks, and sitting live in the studio with me, ladies and gentlemen, is somebody I've been anticipating interviewing for a while. I could go into a lot of detail in terms of this who this person is before I actually, like, you know, say her name. I'm going to say her name first, and we're just going to jump right into it. With me, ladies and gentlemen, I have author Cerise Rennie Murphy. Murphy, excuse me, Cerise Rennie Murphy. And uh, yeah, we're just going to get in. We're just going to talk about life, authorship, entrepreneurship, just the whole nine, the whole kick and boodle. Is that cool? That is wonderful. Okay, awesome. So, first and foremost, just a little bit of background, ladies and gentlemen. I came across Miss Murphy, uh, mm, I'm going to say 2012, at Comic-Con. My then-girlfriend, now wife, surprised me with tickets to Comic-Con because, yes, I am a nerd. You should know this if you listen to the show by now. (laughs) I love uh, comic books. I love sci-fi, which I know Mrs. Murphy also enjoys as well. Um, So my wife... My then-girlfriend knew this about me, and she surprised me. She took me to Baltimore Comic-Con, and while we were there, we just happened to chance across Mrs. Murphy, who my wife knew. Uh, yeah, and they were friends and all that good stuff, and they hadn't seen each other in a while, and she's sitting at this at this uh, booth with her books, and her book at the time. Yeah, it just was, one. It just one. And um, yeah, so we got the book, and you know, my wife read the book. She loved the book. Um, fast forward, we, we do awesome con, we meaning slim and myself do awesome con, uh, this, this, this year actually. And who do we see at awesome con, but Cerise Murphy. Me again. (laughs) (laughs) This time she has books, plural, and she's doing it. And it's just like, when I saw her the first time, I was like, that's, I don't know as an author, if I would have thought to have done that, uh, to like. Yeah, why not go to a Comic-Con? But like, it's a brilliant idea because you can, I mean, your fan base is already cooked in. That's right. So to be able to go to, so it was was good. It was just good and reaffirming and like reassuring for me who is, I'll say at this time, an aspiring novelist. I I can say at least I'm an author, but I don't really put a lot of like, you know, stake or, you know, I don't put a lot of anything on the fact that I've done poetry books because I feel like for at least me, I can do it in my sleep. Um, oh, no, we're going to have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we'll, right. we'll have a conversation there. about that. Yeah. Uh, but um, I will say that, you know, doing a novel, it's a challenge. So uh, to see you there the first time and not really have, I didn't have anything prior to that, you know, mm-hmm. and then to come back this time around and then to see you with books and like she's still doing it. She's got a formula down. Obviously, it's working. She's got the business cards in there. She had her homegirl sitting there helping her work out. That's right. You know what I mean? So she had help, which is dope because you've got to have a support yeah, base. The village. The yeah, village yeah, yeah. Real. So I thought it was just like super dope. And like for me, that was inspiring to me as mine. Like, okay, 
Yeah. Okay. I, I really need to not lose sight of the books, the, the long, the like, yeah, the novels. Because I mean, it's work and it's commitment and it's, it's not, the process is completely different for me. So we'll get back to that later. So um, the first question that I want to have, first and foremost, how long have you actually been writing? Oh, okay. Well, first I want to say, hey, everybody, and thank you so much for having me. Um, the second thing I want to say is it's Cerise. We're not going to talk for this long. And yeah, no, you I know. call me Ms. Murphy. I, know, I appreciate I know, it. I know, I know. I, Big I, up to my husband. No. I, I, I was raised a particular way. That's, <laughs> that's all that is. No, 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 no. Definitely, definitely well, we're, right. We're, we're on first it. name basis now. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, let's see. All right, so how I got started. I've been writing poetry since I was about 11 years old. Okay. Um. My first poem that I loved was Rape of the Lock by Alexander Pope. Mm. And it's an epic comedy uh, about a man who's obsessed with this woman. And he's so obsessed, he cuts off a lock of her hair. And this small event turns into this immense, you know, tragedy that's funny and and heartbreaking and and just epic all around this man cutting this a lock of this woman's hair and i ran home from english lit and i read the story to my mom i mean the poem to my mom and my sister and they didn't get it but what was amazing to me about it was what you could do with words mm-hmm. you could make this tiny little something this tiny little event into something amazing and yeah that's the first time i really sort of remember understanding that. Um, My poetry was really just for me. Mm -hmm. I never shared it, never wanted to. And so I wrote, you know, throughout high school, throughout college, poetry, and always told myself I didn't have the attention span to write anything longer than five pages. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I continued to write poetry through through my 20s, my first thing that I wrote that was longer than five pages was an, an X-File fan fiction piece for all you X-Files fans out there, um, based on this episode called Tithonus. And, you know, back then, this is, oh my God, like 90s or something, you know, you posted it on this fan fiction site, like you didn't get any reviews, you just sort of posted it onto the ether. And it was wonderful, but again, I never saw myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. Fast forward another 10 years later, um, you know, I'd written another fan fiction piece. And after that, again, it was a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really gooey. It was based on Twilight and this Hallmark uh, movie called The Love Letter. <laughs> so it was very, like, romantic and sappy. Anyway, I wrote it by hand mm. in two and a half weeks, 16 chapters. Mm. It was pure joy from beginning to end. I still remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I posted it. People read it. And that point, you know, fanfiction.net had improved and you can get reviews and stuff. And people liked it. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful to, first of all, write the story. That's like the cake and the frosting. Mm-hmm. And then the cherry on top is other people reading it and relating to it and connecting with it. So that was wonderful. After I finished with that, um, my editor, my beta reader had said, so what else? And I said, oh, you know, I don't have anything else. That was just that one story. You know, that was so much fun. Too bad I'm not a writer. (laughs) And I actually said that. It was just, it was, yeah, it's stunning to think about now. And, 
you know, how quickly we shut the door before it's even open mm-hmm. in our own minds. And we're, we're the ones typically to do that to ourselves. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about the, ch- the external challenges of being an author and being, you know, in which a is creative real. space, which is absolutely real. But the, the fiercest enemy is always you. Mm-hmm. Because you, the enemy will, the external enemy will stop you once you've done something. You're the only one who can stop yourself before you even get out the gate. Say a word. And it's it's powerful. And I did that for a long time. So anyone, yeah, too bad I'm not a writer. <laughs> then, oh gosh, about six months later, I was washing the dishes in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I had this vision of a man with a cataract-like film over his eyes and ash blonde hair and this ashy skin, even though he was a black man from Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Immediately, I knew he was a seer. I knew he was enslaved for that ability. I knew there were people all over the world that were suffering that same fate. I saw this entire sort of world and story come to me as I was washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. And I've been a sci-fi fan since I was seven years old, and my mom took me to see Empire Strikes Back at the Uptown Theater in D.C. Okay. With my sister. Okay. So when you've been a sci-fi fan as long as I have been, you get an original idea and you don't let it go. Yeah, you get excited about it. I was yeah. so I wanted to I wanted to read that book. I wanted yeah. to see that story. And so my husband came home from the grocery store. I turned to him and I said, I have a sci-fi story. And he was like, What are you talking about? I've been to the grocery store for like an hour. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And, and it doesn't take long for the idea to form in your head. You can see it so clearly. Yeah. I, I did. I yeah. saw I actually the title of the book. Order of the Seers came to me mm-hmm. in that same vision. So anyway, so he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And at the point, at that point, I didn't even know if I could write it, but I I knew I would try. Mm-hmm. And here I am. That was 2011. It's 2017, and I've published seven novels. That's what's up, man. That's yeah. that that's powerful. So. What I what I what I what I want to talk about is one. Are, are, did you self publish or did you go through a traditional publisher or did I'm, you do like a, a hodgepodge, so to speak? No, I'm independently published. Okay, so mm-hmm. independent means you're self published. Yep, self published. Yep. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a second. Absolutely. So, how long would you say that you've been a full time author? Uh since 2012. Mm, that's powerful, right there. So it is. It is. <sighs> But we can talk about income and how I made that happen. Yeah, we're, we're, that, that's actually one yeah. of the questions. Yeah, yeah. So what I want to know is uh, why choose to be self-published as opposed to going through the traditional route? I know what I when I self-published, I had my reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to what yours were. Yeah, you know, I I went out and did the query letters. I sent out about 20. And I promised myself I was going to send out 100 because J.K. Rawlings sent out more than 100 and and got rejected before you know she got Harry Potter published. So I figured, well, if she can do that, like I can go that long. But as it turns out, I'm not patient. I've never been patient, and I, you know, I'm too old, I guess, to start now. And the other thing that struck me more than the patience, what was really odd to me was I had this story that I loved, that I believed in. I believed in these characters so much, and I thought, why am I waiting and asking someone for permission? to tell my story, to bring my story to the world. 
you know, and I've been an entrepreneur before I started my own businesses. So I wasn't afraid to do that. I knew I could do that. And after, I don't know, I guess mostly I didn't hear back. I got a couple, oh, it's nice, but not quite what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. I think probably the the turning point for me was I got one from a major sci-fi publisher who said, you know, we read the story. We loved it. We don't think it will be commercially successful. And the quickest way to get me to do something is to, to tell, tell me, me what I can't do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> what I can't do. Yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't save all the other ones, but I saved that one. Did you frame it? I haven't framed it, no, okay. but I know exactly where it is. Okay. And, um, you know, I just decided I'm not going to wait for permission to tell my story. I'm mm-hmm. going to bring this to the world myself. And the truth is, now this isn't true for everybody, but for me, the real reason why I wanted to be traditionally published is because I wanted to be the shy writer. I am shy. Mm-hmm. And I I will, I wanted to just write the stories and, and my imagination, like a traditional publisher, would then take it and sell it and introduce it to people. And I would just sort to, of be in, sit in the corner. In the background, yeah. Yes, just writing my books and being shy. That world does not exist for self-published authors or for traditionally published authors. That is just a fallacy. Um, unless you're Stephen King or somebody, you know, you, you've already those got days a name. Gone. Yeah, those yeah, yeah. largely. Yeah. Um, you're expected to have a platform, you're expected to have a following before your first book even comes out. So, you know, I yeah, when I once I decided I wasn't going to ask permission, I had to get over this idea of myself, really. Mm-hmm. And my shyness and my whether or not I was worthy enough and whether or not I was good enough. And, you know, as a beginning author, what I, what I came to was I may not be good enough. Maybe I'm not the best writer in the world. I mean, I'm not Toni Morrison, so, you know, the geek is up, right? Um, but I believe in this story more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I am honored that these characters Came chose to yeah. me to tell their story. And I would do anything for them. I would kick down any door because Liam Knight and Lily Knight and Marcus Akita's story deserves to be told. They, I love them fiercely mm-hmm. and they inspire me. Mm-hmm. And I will do what I have to for them. And so for you know any aspiring authors out there, Thinking about that shy place and, well, am I good enough and this, that, and the other, you know, that's going to be with you, you know. Um, You're just going to have to learn to dance with that, and we can talk about sort of how I've learned to do it later. But what I would say is belief in yourself is not as important as belief in your story and your characters Mm. because they deserve more. They deserve the best that you can give them. If you're not sure whether or not you do, you can work on that in your own time. That's not your character's fault that you're mm-hmm. having your issues. Mm-hmm. They deserve the best that you can give them. And you should do that for them. And once once I, for me personally, once I get myself out of the way, it's a very simple equation. It's a very simple equation because it's not about me. It's about these characters. It's about this story and connecting with the people for whom this story is, you know. It's really for. Wow, man. You you said a lot of things I feel like were like that I I personally needed to hear, honestly. And I'm not being facetious when I say that. Oh. Um because again, um I've literally had uh story ideas that date back probably like to early two thousands, if not around like the turn of the century. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I literally, I literally have. Um, okay, so I have to admit something. <laughs> Go ahead. It's truth time, people. No, 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 no. I have to admit something. I, I, I can't speak for other people, other creatives, but for me, I'm kind of leery about reading other people's works if I feel like it can kind of be similar or in the same vein as my own. Yeah. So I have not read your books because when I saw Order of the Sears, I was like, oh. It's like, damn. So I literally, okay, so I have this thing. And I'm, okay, I've never shared this with anybody, so just well, saying. thank you. I'm um, I, I have a series of concepts and ideas that are in different phases of development. Mm-hmm. But basically, my books all start with O, the letter O. Oh, nice. So like there's the um, the Order of the Damned. Um, there's Ohm. Which mm-hmm. is the book that I've I've done the most work on. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually started off that actually started off as an animation concept or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I started writing that, and that's actually got its own life. And then the novel has its own life. Uh, the novelization is on the front end. The the cartoon mm-hmm. or the animation is on the on the back end. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that happens in between. Obviously, um, I have Orpheus. I have Otherworlder. So I have all these oh, different yeah. concepts in books that okay. are all at different phases. The problem for me is. That I get my own way. Because it's when I write, for example, if I write a poem, mm-hmm. that's in that moment. And when it comes right. to me, it's like it's like um I saw somebody else who explained this uh, on a TED talk. And she was saying it's like a train in the distance. Mm-hmm. And you see the train coming, you could feel the train coming, you feel the vibrations, mm-hmm. and you basically have to get on that train. Right. But because when it passes you by, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like you have to honor that moment. Right. Um and it's a very finite moment. So mm-hmm. it's easy and it's become easy for me to commit to that as a poet right. to write in that moment. Yeah. Writing a song is similar because like, unlike a poem, when I write a poem, um, if I don't, once I stop writing, once the pen goes down, especially if I write it by hand, mm-hmm. that moment is done. Right. Like I can't go back really and recapture what mm-hmm. was there. Yeah, poetry you know I mean? is very much about visceral yeah. sort of expression in the moment. Yeah, so I'm 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 I've never really been able to put a poem down and then come back like a couple minutes later, a couple days, a couple months later and finish it. Like it's finished once I stop writing it. Right. But the song it's a little different. Mm-hmm. I can kind of remember like what the tune I had in my head or you know mm-hmm. what I was thinking. I can kind of get back to it if I'm writing like like bars for like a hip hop song or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, that's different. You know, I can I can I can come back to that. Mm-hmm. The novel is because there's so much there. I don't necessarily know how to the funnel it onto the damn paper. We can talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, and it's that, and it's just like it's just it can become overwhelming because as a poet, that's that's how I've grown accustomed to writing. Yeah, and it, and, and sometimes like it comes to me and it feels natural when it's coming to mm-hmm. me, and other times I know exactly what I want to write, and as soon as I sit down to write, just blank page. Right. So. Uh, some of the stuff you said, though, man, it was is is like, yeah, I needed to hear some of what you said because that is very true. Um, yeah. Well, we, I can't. Yeah, we'll we'll either talk now or offline about that. But I have some very specific strategies for that. Okay. Because it is different, yeah. but um, yeah, not as different as you think. You just restructure your process a little bit. Yeah, and I've been I've been with some some process have been other, and we're gonna get to that actually because there's some questions that I, I yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> let you go. I'm I'm not gonna jump. No, 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 no. You're <laughs> fine. No, trust me. No, no, like, I'm, I'm like I, I, I was kind of anticipating this this interview. So, uh, like I, I woke up earlier, way earlier than I anticipated this morning. <laughs> like you know when I okay, so when I know that I have something to do, mm-hmm. a lot of times I don't necessarily rest well. 
Oh yeah. Because I'm a creative, I don't I don't actually get the sleep that I should get. Like, you know, there there are times where I might get four and a half hours of sleep a night oh, and that's no, not good. It's not healthy. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I actually woke up at five thirty this morning, like I had to go to work. Oh my. <laughs> so I was like awake and I was like, uh, I looked at the clock like it's only five thirty, so I had to like Yikes. get myself to go back to sleep and then I didn't really go back to sleep, kinda yeah. like waking up looking at the clock, peeking over. So um uh, I, I wrote the I wrote I had these questions in mind like you know days ago because oh, wow. I, I was ready. This is not one of those things like yeah I, I yeah I'm I, I yeah I was ready. You're ready, all right. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I do want to ask, and I think I'm I'm curious about this because I don't have kids yet. I'm hoping <laughs> to have kids in in sometime in this in the near future. <laughs> um, Take your time. How has becoming a full time author impacted the dynamics at home? Because you are indeed. A mother. You have yes. two kids. Yes, you have two little ones. Um, you have a husband at home. I do. Um, so, do the kids understand that mommy needs the house quiet at a particular time? Um, uh, how does it affect the romance at home? How does how how does the energy have to be a certain way for you to write? Because mm-hmm. as a creative, we pull we channel. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah, we pull energy in. We filter energy in. We have to be sensitive to energies. Yeah. So, like, how does that how does that work at home for you? Um, that's a great question. The short answer is sometimes it's fugly and sometimes okay. it works out great. Okay. Um, but, oh, all right. Let me try to dissect that. With the kids, uh, first of all, when I decided to publish Order of the Sears, our daughter was just born, uh, which is our, our daughter's our second child. Um, so, in writing Order of the Sears, my son was three, mm-hmm. and what I used to, he used to go to bed at 7.30 at night. Oh, so you had like, time. I mean, it's like the legend. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You had time. Um, and so I would go upstairs. My husband and I, we, we, we share the same rhythms. So, like, after our son would go down, we would just sort of naturally separate because we both need time, quiet time alone. And it wasn't, like, ever negotiated or anything. It was just like, okay, our son's down Let's go breathe. And then we sort of come back together in like an hour and a half and just sort of check in with each other. So what I ended up doing is after he went to bed, I would go upstairs to my office and I would write. And um, and I would write till maybe about 1030. Mm. So you got you got a good three hours of writing. Yes, in. I did. Yes, I did. So you're getting solid like pages in. Solid pages. And I write longhand. I'm, oh, I'm, so you're physically I'm an analog, writing. Yes, I'm an analog girl. Dope. Um, so, Dope. So um, that's how the first book got written. The second book, um, by that time, our daughter was born. So now we had two. We had decided that um, that one of us was going to stay at home. And my husband made more than me, so I was the one who stayed at home. Um, and I decided I was going to really start this business, Lion Sky Publishing, and publish my books. So what I would do, honestly, is um, we had somebody come in. Uh, two days, two or three days, depending on where I was in sort of the process. And I would write during that time when that person would come in and look and take care of uh, our daughter. So I had like eight hours a week. And then the rest of the time I would try to write when she was napping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've ever taken care of a newborn, oftentimes you're napping during that time. So yeah. it wasn't a lot of time, but that's how I did it with the second book. And it was hard. It was hard. Because four, eight hours a week divided into two four-hour sessions is not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now that my kids are older, I write when they're at school. And, um, or I'll write after they go to bed because I only need one thing besides a pen and paper to write. I need quiet. I don't need any, I don't need a special pen. I don't need a special place. Or, although I like to work at home mm-hmm. because I can control the environment and it's my kind of quiet. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I try, I'll write after they go to bed, but and it, it just has to be quiet. That's really all I need. Um, in terms of, you know, romance and my husband, you know, when I was writing, you know, I used to come down at 1030 and he may or may not have been asleep. And I just hug him because he was so excited that I was writing this book and that I loved it, mm-hmm. that he he was just really supportive. And I know that that's a struggle that some people have. And I'm I'm guessing particularly women because we are the primary caregivers, even when we are married in our homes. Oftentimes, we're the one who's sort of taking on the bulk mm-hmm. of the child rearing. And, you know, I, I can't imagine how much harder this would be if I did not have a partner who respected what I wanted to do. And supported. And supported it. Respected it and supported it. Um, so, you know, I've never had to have that battle. Um but I've always been a pretty independent person. So Sequoia knew, Sequoia's my husband's name. He knew what the deal was when he married me. Yeah. But still, you know, he's he's always been supportive um, and continues to be. And so I just kind of fit it in. I don't usually make my family life fit around my writing. I fit my writing around my family life. Okay. Unless I'm in a deadline. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I'm like, all y'all need to leave the house <laughs> because if they're going to be there, my kids are loud. So mm. if they're going to be there, like they're going to be loud. So, um, you know, if I'm editing and stuff like that, I'm like, I, I so you edit your own work too. I do the first round edits, but okay. I have two other editors. Um, so I go through usually the first and second round myself mm-hmm. catching what I can. But the truth is after it's I've read my to, stuff about to, three yeah. times, I'm only reading what I thought I wrote. Mm-hmm. So then I turn it over to, um, to my copy editor, and then um, I have a final proofreader that I use as well. And for writing Order of the Sears, I had a beta reader who used to read um, my chapters as I wrote them. Mm-hmm. So, and we can get in, I'm gonna get just a little bit into my process. So, cool. what I do, um, because I don't have a lot of time, as you can hear from, um, and I, I don't have time by the time I get a chance to write to be wondering what I'm going to write. I need to be focused, because I don't know when that is and I need to grab that moment. So what I do first and foremost is do a story outline before I start doing anything. So I know exactly what the story is, what the arc is, how it, the, what's the beginning, the middle, and the end. Then I do a detailed chapter outline that tells me not just what happens, but how it happens and when it happens. I establish what's the point of each chapter, what happens in each chapter and what's the what's the tension that requires the reader to turn to the next chapter and i work that out before i ever start writing the story so that by the time i sit down to write i'm on chapter 1 i look at my outline i know exactly what's happening and i know why it's happening that. and then the inspiration comes in because the what happened for me is never as exciting as the why Mm -hmm. and the how, and that is pure discovery and joy. But I'm not, I'm not what they call pantsing it. I'm not just sitting down and just sort of hoping the scene comes to me. I've worked all of that out Mm -hmm. before 
I ever start sort of longhand writing the book. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so what I'd do is I'd give the beta reader my chapter outline and my story outline, and then I used to send her chapters as I wrote them so that she could compare what I was writing with what I said I wanted to do in the story. Did I accomplish my goals as the chapter outline hmm. sort of sort of uh, outlines? And, and then in terms of how does this chapter and this storyline fit into the whole story, all of that is worked out before. And that's how I'm able to focus because when I sit down to write, I'm not wondering what I'm going to write. Right. The other thing that's important about that is that it helps you work out the story. So you're not ending with your first draft and you find out later and in your first read that you've got this huge plot hole. Like I, if I had to throw out a hundred pages and I've heard writing, you know, everybody has their own process. But mm-hmm. for me, if I had to, do you know how long it takes me to write a hundred pages longhand? If I had to r- throw out a hundred pages because like literally I might slit a wrist. I mean, not both, but one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I just don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. So that's how I keep myself from from sort of avoiding those things. Okay. All right. I mean, th- there's so many side conversations that could come out of this, and I knew <laughs> this was a possibility. Oh, that's all right. Uh, so, uh, wow. Okay. So for me, I tend to not write, as you say, longhand or, or mm-hmm. analog, um, not because I don't there, – there's a – honesty and the truth for me and the simplicity in writing by hand. Mm-hmm. The problem that I often encounter when I write by hand is ultimately I know it's going to have to be transposed. Yes, indeed. Uh, to to actual like digital format. Mm-hmm. And my handwriting is so abysmal once I'm, when I'm in free flow mode mm-hmm. because I'm just like trying to get it. Right. You know, and my handwriting is okay at best mm-hmm. when I'm taking my time. But when mm-hmm. I'm like, in, like I'm doing it. Yeah. Poetry is a little bit easier to follow because mm-hmm. I, I I know and I, I can I remember even if it's been ten years I can remember like okay I know where I was with this I can figure there are times that I can't read my own damn writing oh yeah <laughs> so it's just like um but and also the the processes are different so sometimes writing um electronically or digitally I, I've discovered that there are instances where I'm like. If I shift this here and shift this here, because you can see, like, oh, wait a minute, you just, I just saw a possibility that I right. might not have seen because mm-hmm. to me it seems more definite and and set in stone when I write it by hand. That's just been my experience. I see. Not saying that it can't be, uh, yeah. you know, moved around or manipulated once you once you do it. Um, so there's that. So I you know what I'm going to jump ahead and ask this question because for me, I'll say that there are tools like uh, uh, I have a Mac, so I mm-hmm. use. Scrivener. Mm-hmm. I use copyright. There's uh, something called Tape Deck. Uh, Tape Deck is a free app that you can download from the Apple Store or whatever. It literally looks like an old school tape recorder, mm-hmm. and it, it utilizes your microphone, and I make audio notes with it. Right. And it yep. allows me to just, like, if I have an idea, I record that audio note. So if I have an idea about a character or a scene or something mm-hmm. that happened, in that moment, I can speak that out. Because yep. writing it out, I can lose things or sure. my mind will go on a tangent and it'll mm-hmm. be somewhere else than, other than where I was in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Scrivener is dope, in my opinion, uh, because I'm able to literally have a digital corkboard. Yep. That I can put the, the cue card and the note cards on and I can put, like, okay, this is an overview of it. And I can double click and I'm in that chapter or I'm in that scene and I can expand and all that stuff. And you can do that however you want to. So Scrivener, I think, is really a cool app. And copyright is just, just for me, just 
a lesser version of Scrivener. It's just less stuff in the way, um, more free writing. So um, what tools other than pen and paper as a writer do you use? Um, Microsoft Word and its dictation function. Oh, is that reliable? Eh, it's decent. How about drag um, and dictate? Yeah. And uh, I used it for like six months, and then there was an update to the OS, and then they told me I had to get a new drag and dictate, and I was like, okay, well, we're done with this. That's so funny. <laughs> a friend of mine uses Dragon. Uh, you know, because I, I'm i not so tech savvy, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just keep it simple because I, I, I can't, I don't. If I thought I had to learn some a new software to write my story, I would start crying. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like so. I just keep it simple. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, um, my handwriting's all, also pretty bad. Um, I'll dictate it, and at least it gives me a sense of where I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then once I get it in there, sure. Then I start reading it, and then I start the editing process. Okay. So, um, yeah, but that's it. That's all I use. Okay. All right. All right. Um. When you started off, before you started off as Cerise the author, Mm -hmm. what did you do before that? What was your truth before you embraced becoming a full-time author? And honestly, to to follow up with that, like when did you actually embrace the truth of being a full-time author? Oh, um, that's when I decided to publish the first book. Okay. And uh, our daughter was born, and the question was... You know, after was I going to get a full time job or was I going to stay at home with her? And if I was going to stay at home, I knew I would start Lion Sky Publishing because I've always I'm the kind of person that needs something of my own. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not built to be a full time stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. I'm just, and I think it's amazing if you can do it, but I need something else that's mine. And so, knowing once we decided that that I was going to stay home with her, I knew I would start Lion Sky, which meant I was a full-time author and publisher, and I had to, to take that seriously. Um, but before then, um, my background is in social work, community, and international development. Oh. Um, yes, and it is still very much a passion for me. Okay. Um, what does that entail? Sure. Um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. at 13th and Park Road in the 80s. And if okay. you know anything about that area, it was the height of the crack trade. And it was not considered a great neighborhood. But my parents bought our home there. And my father always said, you know, you can't run away from your neighborhood. You have to make it better. And so being very sheltered and protected within my family, what I saw in our community was a lot of potential. I didn't just see the open-air drug market. I saw homes that could be fixed up and people that could be trained and educated and be gainfully employed. And I was really intrigued by that potential and inspired by it. And so I went to college and grad school for social work. Okay. And it's through getting my master's in social work that I was introduced to international development because I got a chance to study foreign investment in Cuba. And just learned more about international development strategies, which are much more systemic and macro than what we do in the community development sector in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, So that sort of put a bug in my ear that I knew that I would want to study that. Um, 
So I went back and my first job was uh, to work at a community development corporation in the neighborhood I grew up in, which was literally my dream job. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for four years on everything from business development to affordable housing development to um, funding for uh, summer programs for kids. And it was just... It was just a wonderful experience, and I had a wonderful boss by the name of Robert Elmore who taught me so much. But uh, if there was one lesson that I would say he taught me is that each person in, in the field of helping others, in the field of social work and community development, needs to have a second career. He used to ask us in a staff meeting. He said, you, each of you needs to know what you're going to do next after this. He said, because if you don't, what that says to me is that your career is planning oh, to have people need you for the rest of their lives. Hmm. He's like, so your job, and that's not the employee that you that I want to have here at mm -hmm. this organization, because our job is working ourselves out of a job. Hmm. And I've never heard anybody else say it, but it is the absolute truth. He's like, if we're serving the same people 20 years from now, we have failed. Now, the Community Development Corporation of Columbia Heights' mission was economic development. And I define economic development, and I think Mr. Moore did, in a very specific way. That means that the next generation is fundamentally in a different place than the generation before it. And will never, short of sort of catastrophic events, be in the same place. Mm -hmm. I experienced it in my own family. My grandmother did not graduate from, ele did not finish elementary school. Mm -hmm. My mother went to college. Her granddaughter has two master's degrees. That is economic development. I will never be in the place where my grandmother was. And my daughter will never be in the place that her grandmother was, or I am. We're moving forward and changing the economic trajectory for each person. So you're talking about legacy. That's right. That's what's up. And that's, so, that's one of the reasons why, we're, why we do this here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So even in uh, embracing your authorship, you're also embracing legacy because you could have just said, and this is why I asked the question earlier, why did you choose to self-publish versus publish? Um, I anticipated what your answer would be to a certain degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's waiting on other, waiting on other people to tell you what you can do with your dreams because people can't. People can dream. Everybody has dreams, but nobody can see your dreams like you do. That's right. So if you can't honor your dreams, then like nobody else will. It's just like, you know, so. Um, can I, I, I'm sorry. Can no, I add to that? Go ahead. The question is, who's going to be on your team? Because I'm not, people will ask me, should I traditionally publish? I say, it depends on what your goals are. You know, some people having your book in, in Walmart is like, the dream. Mm -hmm. I know for me, my dream is not Walmart. It's, you know, the the bookstore at the airport? Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. want to walk in and see my book there. Okay. So if that's what you're, if that's what you want at this juncture, probably a traditional publishing deal is the only place where you're going to get that. I believe that that will change very soon. Mm -hmm. But um, shoot, you know what? I just found out my book um, is online at Walmart. Okay. Two years ago, that wasn't true. Okay. That's so, what's up. Congratulations. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't even know how it happened. I think it's through my distributor. But the question is, so if that's your dream, you know, go for it. I'm not here to talk anybody into being self-published. It's a lot of work. It is. But what I know is this. Traditional publishers typically get 80%. Now, see, I can go hard for my book. If you want 80%, you have to go harder than me. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty hard. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can't go harder than me, I ex- if I'm not seeing you in front of me, I expect to look and see you right beside me. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see that for a lot of authors in general, but particularly for African-American and authors of color in science fiction. When I first started, the narrative was this. It was literally, and this is why I got the letter where we like your book, but it's not going to be commercially successful. The narrative was... There was no audience for my book mm-hmm. because black people don't read science fiction. Um, there are no black sci-fi people, characters. Of, of white import. people don't read black authors, mm-hmm. and nobody reads science fiction from a woman. So there's literally no audience for my book. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. That was the traditional publishing narrative, and and sadly, that was the narrative among a lot of self-published authors that I heard sort of singing this story about how, oh, you know, nobody supports us, this, that, and the other, which is how I ended up going to my first Comic-Con. Because I'm a shy person, and I figured if I have to just sort of go into a crowd of readers and be like, do you like sci-fi? Like, that might be really intimidating. But I thought, well, at a sci-fi convention, people have already self-identified mm-hmm. that they're geeks like me. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I could probably do that. I'd, at that point, I'd only ever heard of San Diego Comic-Con. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I, I can't fly out to L.A. Literally, my book was like two weeks old. And I was like, you know, I don't. that seemed like too much. But then I heard about New York Comic-Con. And I thought, well, I could drive to that. Mm-hmm. And so I called them. I asked them for a table. And, you know, I got it. And... I had never been to a sci-fi convention before. I had no idea that there were 100,000 people at that convention. Oh, they get busy. They get busy. Now yeah. it's 180,000. But yeah. nonetheless, I just figured, and this is kind of me in and out. I'm like, well, all right, well, why not? You know, I figured um, I'll just give it a try. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that it did. It really set the trajectory for my career in that. I sold, oh, I was told, I should back up and say, I was told, once people found out that I was going, they were like, the booth, you're never going to make your booth feedback. You only have one book and you're an, an unknown author, so you're never going to sell. How much was the booth fee? It was $925. Okay. So it was serious. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a commitment. You it is. You make commitments like that. It was that. still yeah. cheaper than going to San Diego. <laughs> so yeah. I figured, yeah. well, you know, yeah. all right. Um, and they were like, you know, you shouldn't go. But I was like, well, I already paid for the table, so I have to go. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I went to a small convention called Shore Leave uh, just off of Baltimore. And I asked um, vendors what they would recommend about how I should set up my booth. And they were incredibly generous. And they were like, you're going where? You've never been to a convention before? Your book is out for two weeks? Like, come, little ignorant child, let's sit down and let me tell you what to do. And they told me what to do, and I listened to them. Mm-hmm. I went to New York Comic Con completely ready. I sold over 100 books mm-hmm. to every type of person mm-hmm. there was. And it busted through every single stereotype that they told me about who would buy my book and who wouldn't. And let me add, uh, this is coming back to the traditional publishing industry. At the time, I was the only woman selling a book in the small press section that she had written. The Mm. only woman. Now, I could name, I could name half a dozen authors of color in New York who were not present. Mm -hmm. They're traditionally published, and their traditional publishers 
didn't think that this was their audience. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't place them there. Mm -hmm. Now, see, you can't take 80% if your vision of of who I can be is smaller than mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, tragic. I mean, literally a sub a subway ride away from the Javits Center down in Manhattan, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't pay for their authors to be there. See, that's the benefit of being self-published because I can have the I have my audience is as wide as I dare to go out and grab it. Mm -hmm. And once I started to see that these traditional publishers were not putting these authors that I knew were amazing, I mean, award-winning, mm -hmm. living down the road, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't pay for them to be at New York Comic Con, I knew I was in the right place. And I, I knew that I was doing what, what I needed to do for myself. There's no question in my mind I would not have um, the career that I have if I had been traditionally published because they just didn't see that as a possibility. And when I meet um, agents and, and publishers, they'll see, you know, oh, how are you doing here? And I'm like, this is my third year. I'm, I'm doing fine. And they're like, oh, wow. Well, you know, I'm an agent, but I don't know what I could do for you. I'm like, I could list 10 things off the top of my head that you could do for me. But if you, <laughs> if you can't list them, if yeah. you can't list them, then you then can't be you my can't agent. Do anything. You can't do anything. You can't for be me. my yeah. publisher. Right. And so that's kind of where it is for me. I, you know, if I find someone whose vision for me is more expansive than my vision for myself, then I'm on that. But until I have yet to see it. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm doing my own thing. Okay, so I think that's you a long answer. No, no. <laughs> but no, what was so was so gangster about that answer is that's the answer I think people needed to hear. Because a lot of times when you have people who are established, they're established upon a model. And it's like they they their idea oftentimes, not always, mm -hmm. oftentimes is based upon things that have already been done. It's not about innovating and pushing something yeah. new or, or going like, like, okay, this is what they say you can do, but we feel as though we can challenge that. But no, 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 let's just stay safe over here yeah. and let's do what's been done. And that's the reason why people are always able to break through and create new bounds. And a lot of times it's us. Because a lot of times we're not given the particular yeah, channels that other people... Yeah, way. we have to find another avenue. Yeah. So And that's a blessing. It is. It is. And and the other thing about the all the benefits of being self-published, um, if you're really like going hard and paying as obviously you are, um, it's you have more direct access and control with everything that is your brand. Yes. You know, so anything all the that glory does glory and all the blame. Yep. Anything that does not pass the smell test ultimately is, is on you. Um so I, I think that you hit you you hit it out of the park. You said everything that needed to be said. I don't think I need to expound upon it or add anything extra. Um, yeah, yeah. You me. put you put the you put the flavor on there for it. So, um, what inspires you? What what is 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 there something that you are do? You just yeah. What inspires you? Creating a better world for my children, mm. a better world than the one I was given, and I was given a pretty decent world. Um, but I, we have a. I believe all of us have a duty to to give it to the next generation better than we found it, and um, so that inspired. That's probably the biggest inspiration for me, in terms of my books. My, you know, they're about different subject matters and all that kind of stuff. But at their core, they're always 
They're all about discovering your own personal power and then how that relates to your community and yeah, and making it better. That's what all my books are about, discovering your personal power and then using that to create a better world, whether it's my children's books, the sci-fi trilogy, historical romance. All of them have that theme in it. And that inspires me because that's my own personal journey. That's my own personal struggle. Um, I think that's all of our struggle. Yeah. I, I think I thought ultimately um, we wind up being taught so many things as children. Yes. And part of becoming an adult and just because you're quote unquote grown in the eyes of the government, in the eyes of, you know, society, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily you've matured to a certain position, even if you're like functioning adult, like yeah. you, you pay your bill. Sure. Because the, the honest to God truth is you have to unlearn so much, you know, and you have to really start to figure out your personal truth and how, how you apply that truth to the world and how you fit inside that world. Um, I personally, even though I have a lot of things figured out, there are a lot of things I just, knowing and understanding and accepting are not yes. all the same. And then walking. Yeah, yeah. So like for that. me, I know and I understand a lot of things. There's certain things that I have not fully accepted. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why I'm confident, at least as far as being a novelist is concerned, that that has not come to full fruition. I believe that that, that wall is on the way coming down. I that's believe that I, I believe that that's a, a thing I have. Offline, we'll talk about that. <laughs> well, if, you know, but I want to I want to respond to that if it's okay because uh, of people course. listening are, are feeling the same way. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to you is this: We have all been inspired by Divinely something so. someone else created. Mm-hmm. You remember that book that changed your life? Everybody remembers that piece of art that that shaped the way they see they saw the world or reshaped the way they saw the world. Um. Each story, a story is a blessing, I believe. Having any art to tell, and a story doesn't have to be a book. It can be a painting. It can be any. It can be anything. But your art, your story is a blessing, and a blessing, no blessing is complete until it's shared. Mm-hmm. That is the purpose of a blessing. First it blesses you, but it's not complete until it blesses someone else. Mm. That's why we're not on the earth alone. Speak. Because we need each other. And so as you think, as you're caught up in yourself, Lee, and anybody listening, as you're caught up in yourself and your own issues, see, that story was given to you because somebody needs it. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs that piece of art. Somebody needs that song. And you are keeping them from it. Indeed. Because had, you can't get over yourself. I've had this conversation with a very good friend of mine who um she's a very good poet. Yeah. And for like literally for years. Since like I met her, I want to say ninety nine, two thousand. She's actually I'm talking about she's one one of the hosts on Shit You Might Have Missed on on uh she's one of the usual suspects, T Rich. Okay. Dope poet. Dope poet. And um for years I've been hounding her, when you gonna give me that book? And she's like, they're my children. And I was, uh, there's a a lady by the name of the Borgia Blackwell. I call her Mama D mm-hmm. because I was raised to like not 
call you elders by elders, the first right, name. Right. Mom, you know? mother, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I felt too. more comfortable saying Mama D, although she was totally cool when she mm-hmm. like everybody calls it Deborah and all that stuff. I called her Mama D because that's what made me comfortable. Right. And um I was telling her one day, like, you know, I was working on a book or whatever, and it's like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about blah blah blah. And she's like, Yeah, but you, your problem is you think that's yours to keep. That's right. <laughs> she said that's not for you. And it's just like yeah. so hearing like it it is it's just funny. There are times when I send um like emails or send texts or like I close things out. I don't like to send write the same thing all at mm-hmm. the same time. And so sometimes I'll say, Be blessed by being a blessing. That's right. You know what I mean? So it is the purpose. Yeah. That is the only purpose. Yeah. So like you just gave extra meaning to something I've been telling people for years. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's you because gave... truth resonates. Yes, yeah, that's it does. what it is. It does. But and... no, it's not about you at all. Indeed. It's not about me. It's not about any of us. And the quicker we realize that, the quicker we can be a blessing to others. Right. So I- I'll say for me, um, one of the things that I learned from a very young age uh, from both of my parents. My parents split before I was before I was aware of them being together. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any recollection of my parents together. My sister does. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of happy times of my parents together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of things that they disagreed upon <laughs> when I was when I was being reared. Yeah. The one thing that they they dis they 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 did not have any problem agreeing upon was education and discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like you know um, just that was you know traditional. I hate to say traditional black family, but you know it's just in the sense that you know like you're gonna you're gonna get a job, you're gonna you're gonna get mm-hmm. an education, get a yeah. job, you know, provide for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So that was drilled into my head that so much mm-hmm. at a young age, not necessarily always by like a speech or something like mm-hmm. that, but it's just like also by the example yeah. that I saw that once I started having artistic inclinations, it it made it difficult for me to fully embrace it. Like even when I was like going to poetry venues, sometimes five nights out of the out of a seven day week, mm-hmm. you know, traveling from here to Virginia to mm-hmm. up to Baltimore, all these different sets, interacting with a bunch of poets and, you know, it still for me felt like I was out of place. Like, like I, this isn't a legitimate thing to do. Yeah, just it just it just felt like and I, I there's always that dissonance there. That mm-hmm. that, you know, it wasn't a disconnect. It was just like is it felt incongruous. It didn't feel you know what I mean? Because I felt like I was supposed to do this, but at the same time do this. So it, it was very difficult for me, even 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 I'd say ten years ago. You know what I mean? Reconciling that. So like now it's, it's gotten to I'm 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 I've grown to a different space or whatever because mm-hmm. you know now it's like is now it's like, um, what is your legacy? What is your pyramid? Because my my idea is I told my mother I was maybe fifteen years old. I told her I have no in- intention of working for somebody else in their in their cubicle when I'm 40 years old. I'm I'm coming up on 40 now. Mm-hmm. So my idea was always to somehow be my own boss, make my own way and build my own pyramid. I don't see the purpose of building other people's pyramids because when you're gone, you, they're not going to write your name on the wall and you'll have no connection to whatever house that you built to make great. But you can build your own you know, I look at it differently, and it's probably because I started out in my career in social work where my dad told me I was not going to get a job paying any money and I was always going to be poor. I looked at finan- financial freedom and what I choose to do 
with my time mm-hmm. are completely different things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, and this is how I'm able to be, this is a big part of how I'm able to be a full-time writer. Mm-hmm. I bought my first investment property at 25. Mm-hmm. And renovated into three units, lived in one. And that's how I was able to quit my job and go and get my second master's Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to pay rent. So my tenants were paying the mortgage Mm -hmm. and I giving me a little money and I was able to go to school. So I I think I knew one of those tenants. (laughs) Yeah. So I bought my second property, renovated the basement and did the same thing because I always knew that I wanted to be in control. I wanted to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I could take the jobs that I wanted to take, leave the jobs that I needed to leave. Mm-hmm. And so that foundation, I would encourage every artist to think about. Because to me, you know, I love the idea of the pyramid, but to me, it's my pyramid is not necessarily a company or lion sky. Yeah, I'm a deeply spiritual, though not at all religious person. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I want to do what God breathed me, breathed life into me to do. Mm -hmm. I woke up this morning. There's a reason for that. I don't want God to feel like God has wasted her breath on Mm me. I mean, really, you know, I just don't want to be a waste of God's breath. Mm -hmm. And so, whether or not that's working with someone to impact people's lives, whether that's a pyramid, whether that's whatever it is, that's really where I need, I want to be. And the, the way to do that best is to be financially independent. So I get to do the things that I want to do. And so anybody thinking about doing this, that think about, can you rent out a room in your house? Can you buy a property? Can you, what revenue can you generate so that your life becomes about what you want to do and not what you have to do? Right. And um, to speak to, well, I, yeah. I would like to clarify a couple of things. So when I yeah. say pyramid, I'm, I'm not speaking specifically towards a structure. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking figuratively in the sense about of- About legacy. About legacy. Yeah. And legacy and is I'm, very important to me because um, I think our generation um, has an understanding of what a last name means. I don't. I, I don't necessarily know the generation that's coming after has that same understanding mm. and appreciation. Yeah. So I understand that if I do something, it doesn't just, you know, impact me, and it's yeah. not just how people look at me. Yeah. Sounds like how people look at my parents. Like, what type of parents were these people for him to do X, Y, and Z? Right. You know, what, what type of, you know, what type of upbringing did he have for him to do X, Y, yeah. and Z? Good or bad? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, um, I just have the belief that. We, from this generation, um, are the generation of promise. And I feel a lot of us have not been fulfilling that promise. So what I mean by that, we're the first generation that was, to a certain degree, unencumbered by what our forebears and our, our ancestors I had to deal with. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, we, we did not have to, to deal with marches. Uh, we did not have to... Uh, and not to say that we we obviously have you know plenty of things. Sure, and, we have. Cha- uh, we didn't have to sit at the back of the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so weren't getting chased by dogs. We got a hoses. chance to go to institutions that were largely That's closed right. to us, like in um, generations prior. So I, I understand that there's there, there are always going to be roadblocks for people of color. Yeah. Um. I I get that, and I'm not I'm not shortchanging yeah. anybody or yeah. di- diminishing or dismissing. 
I'm merely saying that we were the generation that came out of the civil rights struggle. Yeah. And I feel like we, we've kind of been rudderless to a certain degree. So um, when I speak of pyramids, I speak about uh, taking whatever legacy was already there and yeah, then building and up the next. Exactly. Yep. I mean, that's what you were essentially saying with your grandmother. You yeah. said your grandmother did not finish elementary school. Yep. Your mother finished college. Yep. And then you've got two master's degrees. Yeah. I'm talking the same thing. Yeah. yeah. No, so I the see language, what you're saying. Yeah, the language is is, is yeah. just different. So um I I I I also believe that um, you know, you're we're here to put to do certain things. And we, yeah. we've all been in, imbued with specific abilities that not necessarily nobody else can do, but nobody can do like we do it. That's right. So for me, um, I do believe that one of the, the tricks that society as a whole and the people who pull the strings behind that veil, one of the biggest tricks that we have to unlearn is the idea of money. And the, and what I mean by that, and this is a very slippery slope. I'm not trying to get into that conversation no. right now. Wow. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is that when you do not have to worry about paying your mortgage or your rent, there is a freedom that does come with that. Yeah. So I believe there there are levels to being rich. I believe Absolutely. the first level being rich, when you don't have to worry about lights. And mortgage, your whole attitude changes differently. You, you ever notice, you ever see people in your family, ladies and gentlemen, that like, you know, they like a couple steps away from retirement and, and see how 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 many, I'm not going to cuss because we kept this clean, how little people care about how people at work act and how how direct and gully they've gotten all of a sudden like, oh, oh my goodness, what is going yeah. on with you? Yeah. It's because like, uh, like uh, I got this retirement about to come in. Uh, I'm about to be good. So. Peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, I don't feel like we should have to set in our minds the idea that we need to work until we're 65, 70 years old to get to that point. We can get there earlier, but yeah. we have to plan for it. You have to it. plan and sacrifice yeah. early. And, and you got to build for it and you have to like, you know, be purposeful about it. So when I'm talking about building pyramids, I'm talking about what yeah. you're talking yeah. about. I mean, at 25 yeah. years old to I buy an it. investment property, that's that's real talk right there. So like I'm I'm trying to like start and, and that's part of what Flash Black is. Nice. That's not yeah. not just about you know, like um, building something for myself. I want everybody to be on board because yeah. it's possible. This is your brick. Yeah, yeah. That you're putting on. Yeah, here. this is one of them. They're one, I, of, yeah, one of them. I don't that's believe right. in just laying one that's brick. That's right. That's right. You gotta, yeah, you got to gotta lay shoot, multiple those books bricks. Are, those bricks are heavy. Yeah. No, but you, you are. Yeah. You're, Hell yeah. No, Hell yeah. I. So yeah. I no, I, I get you. I get you now, and yeah. I also, you know, for me, wealth is about freedom. Mm -hmm. The freedom to do what you want to do, and your freedom is a lot cheaper if you're if you think about it and plan. Your freedom is a lot cheaper than you think it is. I agree with you. Our generation, you know, it's it's interesting. And Malcolm X talked about this a lot. You know, the aspiration is not to be just like what and fill in that blank with whatever you want. the The aspiration is to define yourself. For yourself mm -hmm. and to live the life that you want, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, I, I know people with a lot less money who are a lot freer than I am happier. and a lot happier. And mm -hmm. I know people with a lot more money are that are miserable. not free and have no choice mm -hmm. and are miserable. And, yeah. and so it's really about, 
Yeah, to me, wealth is freedom. And I think our freedom comes a lot cheaper than we, than we think. Hmm. So that's what inspires you. Is there anything that in, invokes fear? And if so, how do, you, how do you manage that fear? How do you discipline yourself? To, to, I mean, being an independent author, that, mean, that means that you have to be able to be viable in what you do. You have to continue to write. You have to be able to push your writing. You have to be places to sell your writing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different hats you have to wear as an independent author. Mm-hmm. So is there anything at this point, have you seen it all? Was there anything at, at the beginning that scared you? Like, how did you work through that? Um, what scares me most is uh, any kind of danger to my children. That's that's my greatest fear. Um, be as an artist, if I can focus as soon as I get away from myself, all my fears start coming back like I'm a newbie. If I start thinking this is about me, so I start. Um, my latest book is The Wolf Queen. I've I've got the story after outline and the chapter outline down. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to write the story. Well, I haven't written. You know, a full-length novel in like a year. Maybe I've forgotten how to do it. Maybe, maybe to find you was the best book that I could write. Maybe you know people won't like it, and maybe you know I'm not. I'm not Tolkien. You know, I'm not George R. R. Martin. Like, what the heck am I thinking? I'm doing, and I get, like I, I can. I can go right there. It's not hard. Mm-hmm. But then I start thinking about Amina and her story and this incredible legacy that she's about to discover. And then I get jazzed. And then okay. I don't have time to think about whether I'm a good enough writer. I'm thinking, what is Amina thinking in this scene? What is she trying to tell me? And then I see it in my head. Once I see it in my head, mm-hmm. my only goal is to transcribe it. Mm-hmm. It's that channeling you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And when I read it back, if I see what was in my head, then I know I got it right. Right. It's it's a it's a closed loop, really, mm-hmm. between me and what the characters told me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and whether or not I'm seeing this picture in my head. And so, um, you know, it, that's getting out of myself is how I've dealt with a lot of sort of my personal fear around what I do, because I love my characters and I believe in them and I focus on that. Um, and that's what's led me through. And it gets easier and easier the more that I do it. And, you know, we have this idea that we're going to think about it or read a book about it, and then we're suddenly not going to be afraid. Mm-hmm. My experience has been you get less fearful the more you do it. Mm-hmm. And there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. You have to give the speech. I remember I was asked to give a speech at FAMU. Um, they were having an Afrofuturism symposium, and you should have seen me. Like, I had a full-on breakdown. This was like two, three years ago. Like, I'm serious. I went, like to a counselor. It was bad. Like all, at this point I was like two, three books in, you would have thought that I would, mm-mm, but standing in front of people and having to, mm-hmm. oh it's my not, gosh, It's not the same I muscle. Was, it's not the same muscle yeah. at all. Yeah. And I was just, I was right back in the fetal position. It was a mess. <laughs> um, but I got through it and I gave my speech And I just realized, you know, the biggest lie is that we are not somehow fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are somehow small. Mm -hmm. We are not small. We create reality Mm -hmm. with our words, not even our words, our thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
We create reality because you think and you act on that thought and mm-hmm. it becomes. Mm-hmm. We are not small at all. We are so powerful, it is terrifying. We must grapple with that. Mm-hmm. The belief that we are small keeps us doing small things and acting in small ways. Oh, say that again. And we have to stop that. Yeah. We have to live into the fact that we, if you believe in the Christian model, that we are made in God's image. Mm. So, you know, anyway, so that's kind of where I am. And when I, when I tap into that space, if I'm fearful and I remember that I am actually not small at all, and there's nothing I can't achieve if I decide, you know? Say word. So that's, that's kind of Oh, man, I that was beautiful. I, <laughs> like, like, shit, I feel like I can end the interview on that, but I got a couple more questions. Uh, <laughs> go, go, go. Sorry, all right. No, no, that was now, nah, man. Like, like you were like, you were like, all this is resonating right here, man. Uh, Like, right, like my, 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 the shackle right here. Uh, uh, Do you live a regimented life? Or do you feel like you can your life allows you now that you've kind of got your routine, you got you've got the kids situation where you understand it? Because I mean, it's gonna change because mm-hmm. kids change, yeah, and they go through phases that you know mm-hmm. eventually they'll be in junior high, then high school. Oh, You're not there yet. They're not. There we're not. Yet. We're not gonna get you talking I'm not about that. Preemptively. Yeah, yeah, no, no. About don't it, worry right. about it. No, we're not gonna <laughs> worry about that. But uh, are you allowed? In, in your mind to be more spontaneous or do you like, okay, I have to come home and this is, you know, like, like, do you have weekly writing goals? Is there some, is there like when you're, when you're in, in the middle of it, I have to get this many words a day. Like I've seen people that say I got 350 words in today or yeah. I got in 700 words today or. Do you- I, and if I'm writing, like I'm about to start writing the, I've finished the prologue for the Wolf Queen and now my goal for next week is to start writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my goal is usually a chapter a week. I don't think in words. I have no idea how, how many words are going to be. Words yeah. is in the cha- It's done when it's done. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not, in terms of that kind of. A chapter of, a week though? Yeah. That's, wow. is, is a chapter a week. Keep in mind, I've already thought, I know exactly what's in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I know why it happens. I know how it fits into the entire, mm-hmm. entire chapter outline and the story outline. Mm-hmm. So I'm not starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. I've done all of the sort of at least logistical work in terms of what will make the chapter work beforehand. So my goal is a chapter a week in general. Mm-hmm. The truth is I can write more than that, mm-hmm. but that's that block that I put in my head. Because when I was struggling to write the last book in the Order of the Seers trilogy, and let me tell you, my husband and I went on vacation and I wrote three chapters in a day. Mm. Some, man, those it's, days feel like the best, don't they? They are. Well, when it just, when it just a floodgate. Name, so. Yeah, but when the floodgates <laughs> open, yeah, and it's just it like, just oh my, waiting there. For like me. there's times you might have to stop. Like, is this happening? Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. it was it was powerful. So, but my goal is is one one chapter a week, and um, you know, I write till I'm done. But in terms of flexibility, it's an interesting question because I, it's a struggle for me. You know, I'm, I like to be unstructured, but life with children requires structure. They need predictability and stability, and I want to give them that. And so very much my life is structured. Um, and in order within their structure, the structure they need to do what I have to do, mm-hmm. it has to be planned. I'm always thinking three, four steps ahead. I hate it. I hate it. 
but I do it because otherwise nothing would get done. Because laundry has to get done along with this chapter, and food has to be cooked, and healthy food has to be cooked, which means food has to be bought. And it's not, you know, I'm not running Just buy from anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and I can't just buy from anywhere. And, you know, I can't cook a healthy meal in, you know, two minutes. So that means I have to stop plan if I'm going to cook that night for dinner. That means I stop work an hour ahead so that I can, because I'm chopping and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not opening up the can for the, for the a spinach. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm chopping that spinach. You know, so all of that has to happen and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think as the kids get older, I'll get back to a little more spontaneity. And, and they'll, they'll be able to help more and because they'll be, they'll be able to even help more independent. More. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. But no, I, that's not something, spontaneity is not something I have a lot right now. And it, it sucks because I miss that. Nah. Is there an end game or a larger goal or is writing enough for you now? Like, if if yes, like, do you feel like sharing? I mean, you don't have to. No, I, I'm happy to. You know, my end game is to, is to die working in a developing country or in some developing area of my own country doing economic development. Okay, so that's writing my, is not alternate, it's not the be no, all end all for that's you. That's not the be all end all for me. Um, you know, my goal used to be to be the oldest secretary, gen- well, I used to want to be the first African American female secretary of state, but Condoleezza took that job. Mm-hmm. And um, then I learned what state secretaries of states do, and I, I realized I don't have the stomach for that. So um, <laughs> then my goal was well, to be secretary general for the UN. Um, now, you know, I, I don't know if my goal is to be the oldest. I, I'd love to be like, my fantasy is to be like 95 mm-hmm. and Secretary General. Because, you know, if you've ever talked to a 95-year-old person, mm-hmm. they have no filter. They just tell you exactly what they think. Hey, so I just want to be there with a gavel, you over there. I mean, it, you know, I'd only last like a week, mm-hmm. but it would be like the best week of my life where I basically like go in and send peace, keep, keep it true. And I'm like, if they're firing on innocent people, light them up. I mean, yeah. just like, oh God, we got to get her out of here. But, you know, um, yeah, I want to do international and community development work. I feel like, um, you know, this feels like this. It, it's writing is not a dream come true for me. Okay, it is something I never expected to be doing. It is this amazing, crazy ride that I am on, and it's not to say that while I'm doing that, I won't be writing books. Mm-hmm. I've got literally stories in my head for at least ten more books, mm-hmm. and because each of them are blessings, mm-hmm. each of them has to get written. Yeah. Now, what I hope is to be writing by some lamplight in the middle of nowhere, helping to bring economic development, and then at night, I will be writing whatever book is in my head. Okay. But that's that's my goal. All right. If there are three to five things that you would like to to recommend to an aspiring writer or creative, what would those things be? Hmm. The first one is probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. Um, my friend Trice Hickman told me when I decided I was going to publish, she said, you have to believe in your story. It sounds so simple. But believing in your characters and your stories 
will get you through so much of the difficulty of what being an independently published author is. I've used it as a shield. I've used it as a buoy. I've used it as a life raft. I've used it as a, as a battle cry. Mm-hmm. Believing in my characters and my story. And so that's probably the best piece of advice. Um, like Yoda said, there is no tr- do or do not. There, there is, is no, no try. try. I, you know, every time I meet someone who says, I'm trying to be a writer, I'm like, well, you need a pen. You need some paper. I got some. What are you, what, what, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? You don't write. Mm-hmm. Write. Mm-hmm. It can suck. That's fine. But you can't edit a blank page. You have to write. And your art will show up for you when you show, show up, up for it. it. Know what? That right there. You know, I I don't always feel inspired. Yeah, I got the story outline, outline and chapter outline. You know, sometimes it's nine o'clock at night. My plan, somebody got sick. So my writing plan during the day blew up because someone, so I had to go get so-and-so from school. And now it's nine o'clock at night and I'm freaking tired. But I sit down and I show up. It's not inspiration, it's discipline. When you have the discipline, the inspiration shows up. Your story shows up. But you've got to, you've got to do that. It's not going to write itself. That's your job, and you have to show up for it. Um, take advice on how to do something, not if you can do something. No one knows what you can do. You might not even know what you can do. That is not a question you can ask anybody but yourself and the God of your understanding. But you can, you're can you welcome to take advice on how to do something, but never take advice on if you can do it. Hmm. You're dropping gems all over the place. You got, you got butterfingers. You're just yeah. dropping so many gems. Uh, well, I, I've been, you know, people have shared with me, you know. Man, obviously you've been paying attention. And um, I think those are the biggest you learn things. your judo well. Those are the biggest things that I would say. Um, Yeah. Okay. What's next for Cerise Murphy? Next for me is writing The Wolf Queen. Starting next week, um, my son and I outlined the third book in the Ellis series. Um, It's called Ellis and the Cloud Kingdom. Okay. And so um, I need to start writing The Wolf Queen and tighten up the chapter outline for that. For the children's book, I work with a co-writer um, mm-hmm. because I, it's difficult for me to write two books in a year. And with, with a children's book series, I want, ideally, I'd love to get them out every six months, but I just, it's, I don't have the brain space for that. Mm-hmm. But um, so I can co-write with someone for the Ellis books and still write The Wolf Queen. Okay. Um, so that's what I'll be doing. We also outline my daughter's book. Okay. Um, but we need a little bit more work on it. So, so um. So that's a pyramid. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's some bricks, bricks right there. Those that's are my what's bricks. up, yo. So that's what's next. Narazu is my uh, online company to promote. Can you, can to you spell that? And, I'm sorry. Can you spell that? N a r a z u, Narazu, um, which is a derivative of a Japanese word for rogue. Okay. Rebel. So. Um, uh, we're going to be at New York Comic Con and building that platform so that it makes it easier for sci-fi fans to discover independent artists who are kicking butt and taking names. That's what's up. So that that's what's on plate. Last but not least, mm-hmm. 
tell our wonderful listeners where they can find you and they can find all of your works. Oh, wow. Okay. So in terms of books and stuff, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your independent bookstore, all the usual suspects, you can just go in. Um, you want to uh, learn about Cerise Rennie Murphy, they can order all your books, all that good stuff. But you can start at my website at www.cerisereniemurphy.com. And that's C-E-R-E-C-E-R-E-N-N-I-E-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. You can read samples of my books and all the stuff. Sign up for my mailing list because I'll be sending out a free prologue uh, for the Wolf Queen. Okay, Lion Sky. Lion Sky Publishing. Um, it started at CereseReniMurphy.com. Uh, if you're interested in the online platform for independent artists, which are is more than than just me, um, you can go to Narazu.com. That's N A. R-A-Z-U.com. Sign up. We do a monthly newsletter featuring independent artists in books, comics, graphic novels, film, um, just incredible artists at the top of their game. So that's that's fun, too. Awesome. And do you have any social media handles? Yes. You can follow Narazu at Get Narazu. You can follow me at, at Cerise R. Murphy on Instagram and Twitter. Sweet. Yeah. When I when I tell you, I, I said this, <laughs> I said this before we started recording. I said you don't know this, but you became one of my favorite people. Twenty seventeen, oh. <laughs> uh, we had we had an awesome conversation, uh, just 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 chopping it up upstairs, uh, talking about life and and, and kids and food supply. Food, yeah, all the whole we talk about everything. That's just what happens when you have a good conversation. I mean, conversationless. Uh, anything is possible, and anything can be uh, brought into the you know the conversation. So. Um, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I am super stoked and super happy that you came by and, and, and did this interview. I can't wait for people to hear it. Um, I will make sure that Flash Black Radio follows you. I follow you um, and uh, make sure you follow us. That way we can um, there you go cross pollinate. Uh, cross. I use that term a lot. Thank you. Mm, <laughs> let's see. Like, wow. OK, so. A lot of stuff we can talk about. We're going to talk about it offline. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, um, Cerise Murphy, again, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great experience. Indeed, indeed. Same for me. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I am Lee Bennett III, a.k.a. Da Vinci Parks. This is www.flashblackradio.com. You can find us if you're not aware. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes or the podcast app. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Facebook at Flashback Radio, on Twitter at Flashback News, also on Twitter, Instagram, Flashback Radio, and also on Stitcher and TuneIn. We are trying to get everywhere you need to be and you need to find us. So, yeah, continue to check us out. And, of course, look at us on the website, www.flashblackradio.com. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Please come back. Please tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell a friend. Share all that good stuff. Until next time, stay blessed. Peace.